check, check. I'm going to have to start over. Everybody just stare at me awkwardly. And this will go well. I get confused. I have a set of batteries to put in this before every service, and I've done this before. Sometimes I put the old batteries back in and not new batteries, so those might be the new ones. We'll find out. So if this goes out, we'll, we'll start over. Thanks, Heath. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul says this, Speak the truth in love. Christians are called to speak the truth in love. In love. Not just one. Both. You can't have one without the other. Now actually what Paul is going to talk about today. In 2 Timothy chapter 2. Is very much the same thing. Speak the truth in love. In Ephesians chapter 4. If you skip ahead a few verses. Ahead of verse 15. In verses 25 through 32. Paul gets more specific about what he means about speaking the truth in love. What is our conversation with one another, with others, to look like? What is the content of our conversation to be? And what is the conduct of our conversation to be? So read along with me. Ephesians four twenty-five through 32. Listen to how Paul describes speaking the truth in love. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is Paul's elaboration of speaking the truth in love. Now, some of you, if you evaluate yourself, you may find that you speak the truth, but you do not speak the truth in love. Or you may find that you are... Well, you would call a loving person, but you do not speak the truth. You can find people and you can find other Christians and you have friends and you have family members and maybe you've been in churches where you only get one, but you don't have the other. The truth is, is if you really love somebody, you're going to speak the truth. If you really love somebody, you're going to tell them the truth. We're resistant to that because sometimes the truth is painful. Right? We have expressions like the truth hurts. And sometimes what you tell somebody is going to maybe alienate them from you or it's going to be offensive or they're not going to want to be your friend anymore. They don't want to hear. You might, you might hurt their feelings, God forbid. And so we, we're very careful. And sometimes being careful means that we don't speak the truth and we don't actually say what needs to be said. But some of you think you're loving and you're kind and you're, you're gentle with others, but you don't speak 
true things out of your mouth. And so in reality, you're not being a loving person. But then we also have those who speak truth. So you say things that are right. And you say things that are in line with God's word. And you have verses to back up what you say. But what you say is not flowing from love for God and love for other people. So it's not one or the other. We must have both of these. We must speak the truth in love. So what Paul's going to get to here is that in Timothy's church, he's saying some of you are useful and some of you are not useful. Those of you who speak truth and you do that in love, you are useful. You're useful to God. You're an instrument for God, instrument in the Redeemer's hands. You are useful to other people. You are good for the church. You're good for the family. Some of you are not useful, he is going to say. Some of you have issues within, and those issues within make you unuseful and unhelpful in the family of God. And we have both classes of people today, most likely in this church, in the church at large, In Christian families, we have both people. Another way that Jesus classifies them, you remember in Matthew 13, he says that there's, listen, there's wheat growing and there's weeds growing. There's wheat growing and there's weeds growing. The wheat is good. It's great. It's useful. And everyone knows how we feel about weeds. But you have both of them in the family of God. And we want to be those who are useful. We want to be those who are speaking the truth in love. And so we're looking at two sections today. First, we'll look at verses 14 through 19, and then verses 20 through 26. And if I could break it down real simply, we could say that verses 14 through 19, Paul is concentrating on the truth. This is what you are to say. Verses 20 through 26 is how you are to say it. It's not just what you say. It's how you say it. It's not just how you say it. It's what you say. It's speaking the truth in love. So we'll try to get through those two sections. We should pray first. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the day that you've given us. And thank you for the great purposes that you have to to make us love you more today. To make us more thankful for you today. God, no doubt many of us came here and we... We have things in this world to be thankful for and we have gifts to be thankful for. And Lord, we ask that you would help us today, tonight, this week to not so much be thankful for the gifts that we've been given, but to be thankful for just you. Help us even today to be thankful that we have been brought to you, God. That we have you. That we know you. That we have peace and hope and joy because we have you. God, that truth that you've put in our hearts, help us to to say it well, to speak it well, to live it well. Help us to be useful souls. We know that there's been people in our lives, God, that have been useful and helpful. Instruments, vessels that you have used, God, to change us. We ask that you would let us and help us to be those to others 
that you may be glorified and praised because we are only useful by your grace. Bring these words alive to our hearts like a fire this morning. And we pray this and hope for this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. So flip back, please. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. First, verses 14 through 19. Let's go verse by verse and let's see what Paul has to say to Timothy about what he is to say. Namely, the truth. Timothy, he's saying, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Over and over again, you see this word remind, remind. God is calling pastors and Christians to remind one another. And when he speaks directly to Christians, he's telling them to remember. Right? You get this. We forget things. Imagine being alive in the first century and not having this nice, nice, neat copy of God's word in your hands. I mean, when you heard Timothy read Paul's letter and you were in the church, you needed to remember what was told because they weren't going to just go to the printing press and run off your own copy. You weren't just going to download a PDF and check it out on your iPhone in the afternoon. You had to remember, remember. Now, today we have access to so much information. We can be pretty careless and we can check out and we can not listen because, well, I'll just I'll just get to that later. But when we come to God's word, we want to be hanging. We want to be hanging on every word. And when we hear something that's life and we hear something that rings true, we want to be disciplined enough to remember what it is that we're hearing. So Paul has said a lot to Timothy And now he tells Timothy, remind them of these things. What has Paul just said? Remember what we looked at last week? Remind them of these things. Remind them to be strong. Be strong. Be strong like a farmer, like an athlete, like a soldier. A good soldier is strong. He's not weak. A good athlete is strong. He's not weak. A good farmer is strong. He's not weak. We want to be useful farmers, useful athletes, useful soldiers. So he says, remind them of these things. Work hard. Be focused like a soldier. Train like an athlete. Work hard like a farmer. So remind them of these things and charge them before God not... Okay, tell him not to do this, Timothy. Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. So there is something evidently that we can do as Christians that ends up being poisonous to the people around us. It actually affects just innocent bystanders. Okay, these are the kinds of conversations that can go on in the church or go on in the blogosphere that are harmful to those who read, are harmful to those who listen. It is harmful to those within earshot. These conversations between Christians where they quarrel about words. And Paul makes it very clear. That does nothing good. In fact, it ruins. That's a strong word. It ruins the hearers. 
Some people we're going to see. Some people like to argue. Some people like to debate. Some people aren't really interested in what God's word has to say. They're interested in arguing over small, minute, insignificant details. And they suck other people into these kinds of discussions and arguments. And it does nothing good. In fact, it ruins those who hear. And we, we've had this in our church. Some of you who have been here a long time, you, you know about this. And we've gone through different sermon series. And I've had conversations with some of you that we've had to stop having the conversation, right? Because every week you've come up to me and we have this 10, 15 minute discussion about two words. About two words. And no one's better because of it. In fact, someone was listening in and now they went home and they Googled it. And spent an afternoon on the internet trying to figure it out. They're now more confused than ever. And they have no better understanding of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Just nothing good came from it. Some of you quarrel about words. My wife and I just quarreled about a word last night. Now it didn't get ugly, so don't worry. But here I am and I'm reading to Peyton. This is the kind of stuff that gets ridiculous in the church sometimes. I'm reading a story to Peyton. We're reading John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and I'm going through it. And there's a part in the book where the main character who's on the journey, Christian, gets stuck in this swamp. And it's symbolic of just the difficult, hard, burdensome times when we're tempted as Christians. And so anyway, he's in this what's called in the book the S-L-O-U-G-H of despond or of despair and so i'm reading and here goes christian through the slew of despond and then i hear this little voice slough (laughs) i tried to ignore it and i heard it again i think it's slough no it's slew keep reading get to it again no i'm pretty sure it's slough I just don't want our son to be trained incorrectly, you know. So what do we do? The book goes down, and I'm getting out the iPhone, and I'm going to my dictionary app, and we're going to look it up. We're going to figure out who's right here. Now, what are we doing? We're quarreling about a word. Now, the great thing is, my wife looks it up and says, oh, this is wonderful. We're both right. It can be used both ways. Don't you love it when, you know, arguments end like that's a little quarrel about words i mean we didn't sleep on opposite ends of the house over this that night you know slew slough it didn't turn into anything ugly but you see and have heard this happen in the church okay and no one is any better at the end of those arguments now paul described in first timothy chapter six verse four and five you remember He describes specifically how the hearers of this get ruined. He talks about the one engaged. He says he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Arguing over words. Quarreling about words. Talking about that which is not significant. Leads to destruction in God's family. 
So in contrast to those who are quarreling about words, Paul calls Timothy to handle words differently. What does he say? Verse 15 to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now let me read this again, and please don't take this as Paul's instruction to Timothy only. Hear this instruction for you. Hear this instruction for you. Christian, this is what God desires. Do your best. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We are called, Paul was called, Timothy was called to rightly handle the word of truth. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you've been entrusted with something. When you're entrusted with something, it means that you use it and you take care of it. That's what it means to be entrusted with something. And that's the deposit, the book, the truth, that has been entrusted to Timothy. And Timothy is now going to handle it. And you and I are going to handle God's word. And we are either going to handle God's word rightly, or we're going to mishandle God's word. Now, the first thing for us to get is you need to handle God's word. Some of us don't handle God's word. It just sits on the coffee table. It's nice. It's pretty. People come over. You know, when they're coming over, you open it up so it looks like you've just been pouring over it. Or it's on your dashboard. But the the dust is a giveaway. When there's dust on your Bible, we know, we know that you don't read it that much. Some of you, I've seen you, you open your Bible and there's actually dust inside. I don't even know how long it takes for dust to accumulate inside a Bible. But if you're not handling it, you're not going to be able to do what God is calling you to do. So we need to handle it, but we need to handle God's Word rightly. Which means that we can also mishandle God's Word. We can malign God's Word. We can abuse God's Word. Now, Paul says in just this, this one verse, first he says to Timothy, do, do your best. And he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Have you ever not done your best and you've been ashamed? The idea here is, okay, Timothy, you've been entrusted with something. Okay, you work for God. You work for God and he's given you his word. And you're supposed to rightly handle it. Do your best with God's word. Because you're going to present your work to God. And you don't want to be embarrassed and ashamed because you didn't handle God's word well. Have you ever handed something in? Remember back when you were in school? Maybe high school, junior high, maybe go all the way back to elementary school. Like I remember doing this on several occasions. And you didn't do your best work, did you? Hopefully some of you had good parents and they said, okay... Not necessarily going to demand you get straight A's, but as we tell our kids, but you need to do your best work. You need to work heartily to the Lord. And maybe you didn't do your best work, right? You did the, you had the report you were supposed to do, right? You were supposed to research the state of Texas and draw a nice, colorful picture and take your time with it. And you just had this like jankety looking horse and it didn't make any sense and it was ugly and, and, but you put it into the stack, you turned it in. 
right? And you thought, well, no one's really going to see this. And then what happened? Do you, remember, you ever experienced this? And then the teacher decides to just grab a random one from the stack and show it to the class. And there's your jankety horse, right? On display. Anything like that happened? You remember how that felt? You felt embarrassed. Maybe it's something you did for your boss. Maybe you turned in something. You thought no one was going to see it. More people see it and you feel ashamed. Friends, you do not want. You do not want to come to the end of this life and be ashamed before the God you love. Because you didn't handle His Word and you didn't handle it rightly. Do your best. And He says to seek God's approval. All of us, to one degree or another, I'm convinced, are people pleasers. Paul says you work like this and you rightly handle the truth because you're after God's approval. You're not after man's approval. In fact, if we are after man's approval, this is where the temptation comes from to mishandle the word of truth. Because handling God's truth rightly and speaking God's truth rightly is not going to make you a friend to the world, but it will make you a friend to Jesus. That's who you want your friend to be. But it will, it will not go well between you and the world. It will cause division if we speak the truth that is in God's word. So we've got to decide, do I want God's approval more or do I want man's approval more? The author of the gospel according to John in John 12:43 described the Pharisees as those who loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 16. Remember what he said? He said, there was an accusation out there that Paul was just a people pleaser. And then we're saying, Paul, you just want to be popular in the church. And you remember Paul's response? His response is basically, are you serious? Do you really think I'm after man's approval? Have you heard my testimony? He just said that all Asia dumped him. He is not a man with a lot of friends. He does not have the approval of many. Do you remember what he said in that verse? He said, if I were after man's approval, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. Because if you're going to serve Jesus Christ, that will mean that you and I have to stop trying to get the approval of others, a reputation with others, compliments from others, praise from others. And while we all say as good little Christians, oh, I don't want that, we all know that we want it. Someone comes up and they compliment you and you know what to say. You say, not me, it's the Lord, glory up. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But inside you're thinking, tell me more. (laughs) Eric, that, that was a fantastic sermon. What an amazing word you brought today. Well, you know, it wasn't me. It was the Lord working through me. Now say that, and part of me will believe that. But then there's another part that says, but there were some pretty good words in there, huh? (laughs) I'll bet what you really loved was, you remember that phrase? That was mine. That was mine. It was was based on God's word. Glory up. It was based on God's word, but that, that was mine. I bet, bet people got saved from that one. Like it rained. It rained today. 
And I don't want to hear that. No, 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 it's not good for me. Don't, don't, don't give me those compliments. All praise and glory be, be to God. It's not good for me when you do that. But tell me again. I mean, we want these things. If we're going to crave that, and if we're going to seek that, we're going to try to feed that, we will not rightly handle the word of truth. We will compromise. When Paul says, Timothy, rightly handle the word of truth, it comes from the Greek word orthos. Orthos, which means straight and right. We get words in the English language like orthodoxy. Orthodoxy, straight teaching, right teaching, right? Or, or orthopedics, right? The correction of or the, the realigning of bones and muscles, making straight often. Okay, that is what he is telling Timothy. He's saying when it comes to God's word, you need to get it straight and you need to give it straight. This is crucial for all of us as Christians We need to get it straight, and we need to give it straight. So what goes in, in terms of God's Word, it needs to be straight. You need to read God's Word. We need to pray every time that the Holy Spirit would help us to understand God's Word, that we wouldn't change God's Word and become a heretic. You should pray every day, God, make me not a heretic. Help me not to malign your word. We need to surround ourselves with good teachers, with others who understand God's word, with good commentaries. We need to not have bad commentaries. We need to not have bad books. We need to not have bad teachers. We we cut all that out and we bring in the good because we want to get it straight. Not only do we want to get it straight, we want to give it straight. Undiluted. Without deviation, God's word rightly handled straight. But then there's those who are mishandling the word of truth, right? These are quarreling over words. And he calls Timothy to avoid, verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Timothy, what you say is important. Rightly handle the truth. Do not swerve from the truth. Do not be like these two men who are teaching things that are not true. They are teaching that the resurrection already happened. That's a terrible idea and untrue. The resurrection is the truth that we as Christians are looking forward to. It is that one day we will die and we will lose everything in this world, but we will gain everything in Christ. And we will be given new, new, perfect bodies without sin. And they will last forever, and we will never sin again. I mean, that is great news. And we are looking forward to that. That is that kind of news that makes us become quickly Jesus kind of people. Because we want that day to come quickly. And so these two men were teaching, oh, that's already happened. In other words, this is as good as it gets. I mean, look around you. 
If this was as good as it gets, would you be discouraged? I hope so. I would be massively, massively discouraged. And so there are men who have swerved from the truth. They are mishandling the God's word. And Paul says they should be ashamed. They should be ashamed of themselves because of their mishandling of the word of God. What does he say about them? They're quarreling about words. They participate in irreverent babble. If you have a New American Standard version, it says, avoid worldly and empty chatter. Can we to think about what we're talking about? Are we speaking truth or is it just worldly and empty chatter? The King James Version says, shun profane and vain babblings. Some of us are babblers. We just babble. Wah, wah, wah. But nothing helpful. Nothing useful. No right handling of the truth. He says nothing good comes from this. In fact, it ruins the hearers. It leads people into ungodliness. It spreads like gangrene. A more contemporary example would be that it spreads like cancer. We know cancer as a culture. And we know what cancer is capable of. And without treatment and without miracles from God, we know what cancer does to a body. It destroys a body. It moves quickly. He says this is what false teaching does. It moves quickly and it kills. It moves quickly, friends, because our sinful nature likes false teaching. And it despises truth. And so it spreads like wildfire. You start getting a bunch of Christians together and saying, I know you've heard your whole life that you are a sinner. Well, I've got good news. The real good news, you're not a sinner. That's appealing. That sounds good. I know you've been told that you're bad and terrible. I know the prayers your pastor reads to start off the service and all these things about self-abasement and calling you a creature. I've got good news for you. That is not really true. You are good and you are capable of much good. Now, to those of you who are redeemed and have the Holy Spirit, you've got something in you now that's saying that's nasty. And I don't like that. But you also know that there's the old man, the old woman that's clinging on. That's saying, are you sure? It'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? And you remember a day when you swallowed that all day long. Or what about Jesus is the only way? Well, that's not very friendly or tolerant. What about the other ways? No, there are no other ways, right? But what about the other? No, there's no other ways. Jesus is the only way. And what about the teaching that there are many ways? You just believe it in your heart. Does it work for you? Then good. I want to encourage you in that and believe in you toward that. That's very nice. That's very nice. That's comfortable. That feels good. 
and it spreads like cancer, like gangrene, Paul says. But what does it do? It ruins them, upsets their faith, leads into ungodliness. Brian Chapel says this when he looks out and critiques and evaluates the church at large today. And see if this hasn't been your experience. Sadly, the idea of rightly handling the word of truth, this flies directly in the face of so much that is happening today in our churches. The text is announced and read, and it is so rich and promising. You settle back, Bible open for a good Sunday meal, only to find that the text is departed from never to return. And he calls this Sunday indigestion. You ever had that happen? Where you're reading a blog or reading a book or listening to a sermon or in a church service and you hear some text read. It's from the Bible and it's, it's good and it's rich and you start getting excited about what you're going to hear and then you never hear, you don't, you don't know what happened to it. But you never hear that verse again. You hear something else and you hear a topic or an agenda or but you never hear from that verse again. And, and all this anticipation you had is a big letdown, right? I mean, that would be, there was a lot of culinary anticipation in my home the week of Thanksgiving. And we are anticipating good things on Thursday. And the reason is because we've been given many good things for a lot of Thursdays in November. So Thanksgiving. Many of you are expecting to have a good meal on Thanksgiving. Now, I cannot even imagine, I cannot even imagine sitting down for Thanksgiving and my wife puts a bag from Jack in the Box in front of me <laughs> and says, Happy Thanksgiving. I would slip into a coma instantly. <laughs> be like the Matrix. Like, my life would just fall apart. Have you had that happen in terms of God's Word or a church or teaching and you're excited and there's anticipation and then you're just given junk? You're not given what is from God's word. That comes from mishandling the truth. And it happens in so many different ways. So many different ways. One of the big ways is taking things out of context. Taking things out of context. You should remember this expression. Many of you, if you've, if you've been to Bible college or seminary, you learned this. Context is king. In other words, when you read the Bible, don't just pigeonhole don't just tunnel vision don't just read a verse and not pay attention to the truth that's around the verse you should read what's before and you should read what's after you might want to read the entire book or letter that you're reading and you want to have an understanding of the entire bible from genesis to revelation because everything is in context and every verse doesn't tell you everything there is to know about god or the particular truth you're reading about So you need to know what the context is. But oftentimes, in sermons, or in books, or in blogs, there will be a verse, and it will be given to you and taken completely out of context. But you won't know it unless you go to God's Word and read. There have been many Christmas sermons, I kid you not, on Revelation 11.10. Here's what Revelation 11.10 says in the King James Version. It sounds very Christmassy. Very. Listen, it's wonderful. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one another. Hello, that's Christmas. That'll preach on December 23rd, right? 
Let me read that again. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one another. And so pastors have pulled that and preached great Christmas sermons. One problem. If you go and read the context, here's what just happened. It's the end of days and God sends a couple prophets, a couple preachers to preach his word. People don't want to hear God's word, so they murder the prophets. And then while they see the bodies of the prophets on the ground, they run around, throw a party, make merry, and give gifts to one another. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Killing prophets. Ho, ho, ho. But that's what can happen if you... That's an extreme example. But if we take verses out of context, it's not rightly handling the word of truth. Just one more way that the word of truth is mishandled very commonly. It's moralized. It's moralized. We have to be so careful. This book is full of rules. For sure. And these rules are for Christians. And they are rules from your dad of how you should live in a way that honors him and in such a way that it will go well for you. And if you love your dad, you should follow the rules. Okay, pretty simple. But we need to be careful. This is not, though, a book of rules. This is a book telling us the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Primarily, ultimately, foundationally. This book is the good news that yet while we were dirty, rotten, filthy sinners... Jesus died for us and took our place. Therefore, He is our greatest treasure, our Savior, our King. And this is what the Word of God is. But it's so easy in teaching and sermons and books to end it all with, now do this and don't do this. Now be a good little Christian and don't you be a naughty Christian. Okay, he's in heaven, he knows he's been naughty or nice, and he's keeping track. So don't be naughty, be nice. And we can just reduce everything and reduce this to, let me give you a checklist, and you go home and do it. And when you're given those checklists, which we love, don't deny it, you love it, and you go home, then you come back the next week, and it's like, I did it, Pastor, I did it, I did what you told me to do. I checked him off my list Tuesday. I was done with it by Tuesday. Had five days to just take off, do whatever I wanted. By Tuesday, it was done. Now you feel pretty good and proud of yourself, right? One of the ways we keep from moralizing God's word is we just call each other to do things that are impossible. So you can't just go home on your own strength and check it off your list. Okay, here's your list. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Are you going to do that by Tuesday? You're going to do that apart from his help? You're going to make it until Sunday without him being merciful and sustaining your life? No. So does God call us to some do's and some don'ts? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And they are impossible for you to do apart from God's grace in your life and his radical transformation of your heart. So we better be a desperate people crying out for mercy. Over and over again. And having it in Christ. So he tells Timothy, Timothy, handle 
this word rightly. William Willimon said preaching can be reduced from salvation to self-esteem, sin to maladjustment, church to group therapy, and Jesus to dear Abby. So he's telling Timothy, we need, and, and, and us, okay? We need to get it straight, the gospel, God's word. We need to get it straight, and we need to give it straight. We need to be feeding ourselves well. Handling the word of truth well. Okay, you think of your body physically. If your body is going to last physically, you need to eat healthy, Right? We're not exactly known as a nation for those who eat healthy. And if you, Hostess is going out of business. Did you hear about this this week? This is, a, this is a real life example. Hostess is going out of business. Some of you are starting to cry right now. That means Twinkies and Ho-Hos are done. No Twinkies and Ho-Hos for your grandkids. Hostess is going under. Now here's what's funny. Only in America. Do you know what happened this week? So people flooded the grocery stores and bought all the Twinkies. This is, Amer- this is America. We've got to write a song about this and sing it before baseball games. Twinkies. And so if you go to the store right now, no more Ho-Hos and no more Twinkies. They're off the shelf. And you know what people are doing with them? They're selling them on eBay. A box of Twinkies. Go home for hundreds of dollars. And they will not last, Right? But there are Americans who want to butter down some Twinkies before they disappear. And so they're spending hundreds of dollars. Paying no attention, right? We don't care. There are some parallels to what we do physically and spiritually. We need to eat well. We need to eat healthy. I'll say this too. You know that this is important coming up to Thanksgiving. We're all mindful of portion control. We know what that is. That's a phrase that we understand in, in America. Portion control. Be careful how much you eat so that you can stand after dinner and things like that and function. <laughs> so portion control is important. Is Listen, spiritually, portion control is important. First, eat healthy. Make sure that you're digesting good food spiritually. You're reading good things starting with the Bible. You're listening to good things. But as well, be careful with portion control. Be careful how much you're stuffing your soul with spiritually. Because as Americans, it's often more than we can handle. You're reading 10 books right now. You're going through three Bible plans. You're podcasting four different pastors. You subscribe to 10 different blogs. And you read it all. And you've got a lot of information going in. But you're totally unhealthy because you're digesting nothing. Some of you would just be good to just hear a sermon a week. A sermon. And then just read it and think about it and digest it spiritually throughout the week. This is how we as Christians are to rightly handle the word of truth. And now verse 19, Paul gives Timothy some encouragement because these men are in his church. And maybe some of you have been discouraged before, too, when you hear the false teaching that's out there and you hear the lies that are out there. And you've got friends that are falling for it. And you've got family that is falling for it. And and they're steeped in it. And it can look sometimes like we're losing. I think it felt like that to Timothy. What he just said in the first part of verse 19 or the last part of verse 18, they are upsetting the faith of some. 
So there's people leaving his church. There's people unsure of their salvation. It's getting really ugly because so much false teaching has, has crept in. So much mishandling of the word of truth. And so Paul wants to encourage Timothy that, that it may look a certain way. And I know that there is error and people are falling for error. But this does not mean that the church of God will be destroyed. It does not mean that God is losing. You can remember what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew sixteen eighteen: On you I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. That means you have God's agenda through his son Jesus Christ and through his church. And it means that the gates of hell are going to be opened up literally. And everything in hell is going to come out metaphorically here. Satan, demons, evil, darkness. Everything it's got is going to come full force against the church and against Jesus Christ. And Jesus crushes it. Crushes it. He wins. But Timothy's seeing people in his church drop like flies. And he's seeing people depart and fall away. Discouraging. So Paul encourages him in verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. And he's going to quote number 16. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So he gives insight first into God's perspective. Okay, you know that God is going to preserve the faithful. God knows who his children are. John 10, he knows his sheep. He's going to keep them. He's going to keep them safe. He's going to protect them. And from the outside, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Who's with God? Who's against God? Well, who is running to sin and who's running away from sin and departing it? Who's persevering? But the encouragement he gives to Timothy when people are dropping like flies in his church is an interesting one because he calls them back to Numbers chapter 16 where we can read about Korah and his rebellion against Moses and Aaron. Are you familiar with this story? Numbers chapter 16. Korah and 250 officials are unhappy with their role within God's family, within his kingdom. They think that they should be able to be priests like Moses and Aaron. They think that they should give more recognition. They believe that they've done well and should be rewarded. And so they confront. They confront Moses on this. And they tell Moses, you have gone too far. We are all holy and the Lord is among all of us. Now it turns out later that Korah and those he's leading in rebellion are actually a bunch of unfaithful complainers. And it says they literally despise the Lord. They literally despise the Lord. But this quote comes from this passage. The Lord knows who are his. And so this is what Moses said to Korah in his rebellion. He said, why don't you come back in the morning and God will sort it out. Don't you love that kind of faith? Look, I'll meet you guys here tomorrow morning, right? I call you out. See you after school in the playground. God will sort this out. And so they all come back the next morning. And there's Moses and there's Aaron and there's the faithful and the, the unfaithful, right? Okay, kind of similar to what Timothy's looking at in his church. And then God tells Moses, you're going to want to back up. <laughs> Read the story. It says, Moses, you're going to want to back up. And then, and then he has Moses go around to all these other families that are around these people who are despising the Lord. And he says, you're going to want to back up. You're going to want to stay away. And then Moses comes back, right? And there's an earthquake. 
And then this earthquake is so dramatic that the ground splits open. But the ground splits open selectively. This is an amazing earthquake. It splits open selectively. And Korah and all those who were in his rebellion were swallowed up by the earth. And the earth closed back up over them. And the Lord knew who his people were. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember this and be encouraged. Now, now we can hear a story like that. We can say, how can I be encouraged? How awful? And we think about those who were swallowed up. And friends, you and I need to remember, though, that we all deserve to be swallowed up. See God's goodness and grace in saving Moses and Aaron and those who were faithful. And remember that they were faithful because God put it in their heart to be faithful. Not any good in them. By the grace of God, you have been saved. So he encourages him. Now the second section, verse 20 through 26. How you say it. That was the what you say. Rightly handle the truth. Now how you say it. He's going to say a bunch of things quickly here about how we conduct ourselves, how we speak truth to one another. Verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable So this is how it worked in a first century home, right? You had nice utensils and nice silverware and nice vessels that you brought out for special occasions. And they may have been made of gold and silver. You had other utensils that you used to haul out garbage or excrement. And they were made of wood and clay. So some of them were for honorable purposes and other for dishonorable purposes. Some of you have the same thing in your house today. Okay, we have a china hutch. Right? And in the china hutch is the fine china. And I have learned through experience, you don't eat cereal out of a bowl from the china hutch. That's the gold and the silver stuff. It's for special occasions, not for common use. It's very special use. We're going to use it on Thursday, right? For Thanksgiving. But I'm not allowed to put... I mean, I'm allowed. I can, it's my home. I can do. <laughs> I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed to use that china. I'm not allowed to put it in... I learned this in the dishwasher either. You got to wash it by hand with, you know, cloth imported from Europe or something. But be very careful with it. Now, we also have, right, some utensils and vessels. These bright orange and green and yellow cups from Ikea that are made of some sort of indestructible plastic. I've literally run them over in my driveway. They're fine. And those are used for all sorts. You can put cereal in them, but they're also used for all manner of evil in the Myers home. Useful, not useful. Special, not special. Okay? And that both exist in the Christian community. Okay? Okay? There are believers and non-believers who are part of the community. There always has been. And we don't always know who they are. Jesus describes in Matthew 13, there's wheat growing and there's weeds growing. They came to him and says, well, if you think you know who some of the weeds are, you want us to go pull them out? He says, no, don't worry about it. God will take care of it on the day of the harvest. And he'll take the weeds and he'll bundle them up and throw them away to be burned. 
So we have those here today who are useful and some who are not useful. Some of you who are interested in being useful, some of you who are not interested in being useful. He describes they are vessels for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house. You know who the master of our house is. His name is Jesus. Useful to Jesus. We could do a sermon right there. That Jesus actually uses us. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to. He wasn't in a panic until you came along. And now... Finally, somebody with that set of spiritual gifts. He doesn't need it, but he uses us. Useful to the master and ready for every good work, which Ephesians 2.10 says, God prepared in advance for us to do. The question is, are you useful? Do you want to be useful? Do you want, do you long to be used by God in his family? Do you want to be used by God in his family? Are you being used by God and His family? Are you able to love others in this family? Are you able to minister to others in this family? Do you want to? Do you see your church as a... Do you see membership in a local church as an opportunity to be useful in the Master's house? Are you just a sponge and you just squeeze yourself before you get here and then you just let go and just soak and take in and then there's never any usefulness in you. It might be an indicator that there's some things you like about this community, but Jesus isn't one of them. Or are you useful? Do you want to? Are you, are you able to when others around you are, are hurting, when others around you are suffering, when they're going through difficulty, are you able to commiserate with them in a good way? In a healthy way? Listen, I... In a mourning with those who mourn kind of way? I know what you're going through. I've seen what, what's going on. I just want you know, I'm sorry. I'm here for you. Do, you. do you need anything? I'm sorry you're going through this. Are you useful like that to people in God's family? There's a level beyond that that is so hard for us to get to today where we move beyond just commiserating with people and actually being able to draw alongside people and say, can I tell you something that I've learned that might be helpful to you? That's what being a vessel of gold and silver in the kingdom of God looks like. Can I tell you how God has proved himself faithful to me in this area? Can I, can I give you testimony of how he has fulfilled his promises in my life can I tell you I, I know you can't see this right now and I was there and I couldn't see it but can I tell you now how when I thought that everything was gone and dead and the creek was dry that God filled it up and it was overflowing can I tell you how God has done that in my life friends I think that we're not aspiring for the kind of usefulness that we should be 
in our family. Friends, this should be a desire of our heart. We should pray that God would cultivate this desire in our heart. What an honor. What an honor to be brought out and used for the Thanksgiving meal. What an honor to be able to pass on and to love and to encourage and to bless and to be an instrument of Jesus Christ in His home. What an honor to be on His errand. What an honor at the expense of myself to pour myself out in humility considering others better than myself to be used by Him. Do we look through those lenses when we gather together and when we scatter as the body of Christ? Or are we out of sight, out of mind? Do we pray for one another? Do we long to see one another? Do we long to encourage one another, to confront one another, to sharpen one another? May we be further along in five years, in ten years. May our children be further along. May our grandchildren, if Lord hasn't come back, be further along and be useful in His kingdom. So, verse 22, He says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. He's telling Timothy now how to be useful. He said what needs to happen, verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good works. If you want to be useful in God's kingdom, you need to cleanse yourself, not clean yourself. It's different. He's talking about the inside. Pay attention to the inside. That's what cleansing pays attention to. What's within, not without. We don't want you to clean yourself up. Please. Do not clean the outside of the cup. We don't need a bunch of shiny looking Pharisees that look like they have it all together when the truth is we're a wreck on the inside. No cleaning and no polishing, Christians. No polishing, no waxing, no buffing, none of that. We need to be cleansing, paying attention to the inner man, the inner woman, and that's what he gets to, your character, who you are. This is how you'll be useful in God's kingdom. So flee, run from, run to. Flee from this, flee to this. Run from what? Youthful passions. Youthful passions. There could be many things that we know at least though in this context. That it is what we have experienced in our youth. What we see in youth. It is the proclivity to quarrel. To argue. To debate. To fight. To be right. To be Heard to win and thus to be impatient, to be harsh, to be contentious. Paul says, if you want to be useful, you want to speak the truth in love, run from 
this. Listen more. Minister more. Pontificate less. Younger people, we are prone to this. Prone to this. I've got to be heard. I've got to say this. I've got to be right. Everyone needs to know that I was right. I must be vindicated. I must win. And that leads to impatience. It leads to being contentious. And it leads to being harsh, which he's going to say, don't pursue those things. Run from those things. Rather, pursue. And he gives some very quiet endeavors. And we'd be wise to pursue some quiet endeavors and not be so loud. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. To know Christ. To follow Christ. And then he repeats, have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies which lead to quarrels. Verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be. And that's what we want to be, the Lord's servant. These are the vessels of gold and silver that are useful to their master. They are the servants. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Do you see the speak the truth in love? You need to know the truth so that you are able to teach, so that you can correct someone. But it needs to be in love. You need to be kind to everyone. You need to not be quarrelsome. You need to be patient. You need to be gentle. Paul describes himself when he was with God's people and said in 1 Thessalonians 2, seven, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That is gentle. Paul says, this is how we, we proclaim the truth. And there was, we know Paul was bold. And we know Paul was serious. And we know Paul didn't put up with it. And we knew he confronted. But Paul was gentle. He got accused of being a pushover. Oh, you're all tough in your letter. But when you come and see us, you're Mr. Gentle. And he writes back and says, well, when I come next time, I'll bring a whip. But he says, when we were with you, we were gentle. Have you ever seen a new mother with her new baby? I mean, that is quintessential gentleness. And he says, this is the kind of gentleness that we are called to with one another. Patiently enduring evil. Part of the way we love one another and speak the truth and love one another is we are willing to overlook a thousand offenses. Patiently enduring evil. William Barclay says, There may be greater sins than touchiness, but there is none which does greater damage in the Christian church. There is a difference between being sensitive and being touchy. You all should be sensitive. You should be sensitive to one another. You should be sensitive to Christ. You should be sensitive to the gospel. But the touchiness where I'm so easily offended and I'm always assuming the worst and you better walk on eggshells around me 
And you better not go to that topic. And you better be careful how you look at me. And I better not catch you saying this. Is not loving. It's very selfish. And the kinds of things that can happen in God's family are really sad. When one person takes offense, it often goes down like this. One person takes offense and doesn't go to the person that offended them. They just unfriend them on Facebook. And then they start telling their mutual friends why they're no longer friends. They tell everyone but the offender what they've done. And then word gets back to that person, the alleged offender, and they try to reach out to clear things up. But by that time, bitterness and resentment has taken root. The person doesn't want to have anything to do with them. Soon there's animosity. Now when they pass each other in the hallway, they're pretending they don't see each other. Sophomoric, junior high type behavior. And it happens with us as adults in the church. Some of you have people in this room right now that you will try not to make eye contact with today. And if when service is over and you go to leave this way and head down the hall, you see him at the end of the hall, oh, interestingly enough, you're going to turn around and decide that that's a better way to go. Right? To avoid them. Being too touchy and oversensitive. And not patiently enduring evil and being kind to one another, correcting one another with great gentleness. Paul says, this is how you must live. This is how we speak the truth in love. Speak it boldly. Speak it clearly. Rightly handle the word of truth. But speak it in love. And then he gives this hope. This hope of why we do it. Why do we patiently endure evil? Why do we not get angry when people don't listen? Why do we not get angry when people don't change and do things well and stop sinning? Why do, why, how are we able to patiently endure evil? How do we resist the urge to just take control and think, as we often do, well, I think this would just go better if I just yelled at them. I think that's what's missing. We're to the yelling stage. If I just raise my voice, and they need, they need to feel some consequences for what they've done. And they need to hear it in my voice. So I'm going to withhold some things, and I'm just going to yell at them. Taking control, trying to bend people in the direction we want to bend them. But he just says, speak the truth in love. And then he says, God, verse 25, God may perhaps grant them repentance. Do you know what we're all hoping for in one another and what we're all after with one another? Repentance. Turning to Christ. Turning to God. Turning away from... It's a big category. Everything else. Turning to God. Turning to Christ. This is what we're hoping for. This is why we speak the truth in love. This is why we treat one another the way we do. This is why we rightly handle the word of truth. We speak it and then what do we do? We pray. We pray that what? We pray that God would grant them repentance. But I think if I yelled at them, they'd repent. (laughs) 
Well, God is the repentance granter. And you're not called to make them repent. You're called to overlook a thousand offenses. And what happens if they repent? God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. In that hope, we speak the truth in love. That is what we say. That is how we say it. We'll pray and take communion together. This time where we come together as a family, we eat this bread and we drink this juice and remember, remember what Christ has done. Our Savior, our Lord, our treasure on the cross for us in the place of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for gathering us today to remember you and to remember the gospel. Father, we do ask that you would make us a people who speak the truth in love, people who speak truth, who rightly handle your word, and who are kind and patient and gentle that we would speak your truth and we would do it in love, out of love for you, out of love for others. Father, there are people here today who have just now heard how gracious you have been through Jesus. God, we pray that you would turn all the lights on in their heart and in their mind, that they would see clearly now that they would see their sin, their offense to you, a holy and perfect God who has created them. They would see the justice that is coming. And they would see the gracious and merciful provision you've made through Jesus, that there can be a pardoning of their sin through loving and trusting and submitting to your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that hearts would believe now. And for those of us, Father, who do believe and who do know, for the wheat among us that are walking with you, God, we pray that you would make these biblical realities realities in our lives. That we would live according to your truth. And be a people who speak with great boldness, getting it straight and giving it straight, your gospel. But in a way that is patient, loving, kind, and gentle. We pray these things in the great and awesome name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free audio podcast by Veritas Church. For more audio and video, please visit veritas-truth.com.